All right, I've been in a series that I'm calling Dancing with David. And uh, by the dance, I mean life. So every title starts with dancing, but I mean going through life. And today, the title of the sermon is Dancing Through Life with Friends. The word friends, or the words friends, friendly, friendship, appear over 100 times in the scriptures. That means it's pretty important to God. Friends are not optional when it comes to going through life. There's no substitute for friends. Did you know even Jesus had close friends? You'd think the Son of God wouldn't need close friends, wouldn't you? But he had the 12, the apostles that he walked with. They were, they were good friends. And then he had three close friends. And then he had one really close, John the Beloved. Proverbs 18.24 says, there are friends who pretend to be friends, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And we're going to talk about today friends, but we're going to zero in on David and Jonathan and that relationship that God gave them and the closest of friends, great friendship that God wants us to have. Let's pray. Father, come now by the power of your Holy Spirit and move in our hearts. Do something great and mighty, Lord. Show yourself and would you take these words, the words that come from your heart, your scripture, and, and seal them in our hearts, Lord, that we might grow and become more like you and be blessed. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So looking at David and Jonathan and their friendship, these are some observations that I came up with. First of all, great friends make life better. That's why God talks about friendship so much in the word. He wants you to enjoy life. Did you know there's a place in the Bible, Ecclesiastes, where it says, I commend to you the enjoyment of life. Part of that enjoyment is having friends. One of my least favorite things is to watch a movie that I think is funny and laugh by myself. We weren't made. You know, I just kind of look around like, where's somebody to enjoy this with? And in life, that's the way life is. In 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 the ups, it's really great to have people there to experience it with. But the downs as well, it makes life better. 1 Samuel 18 says this, after David had finished talking with Saul, now he's just slain the giant, he's coming into the royal palace, he's a teenager, and that's the setting. He meets Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond of love between them, and they became the best of friends. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. So David and Jonathan immediately become great friends. Something happened. Though friends can be cultivated in life, and the Bible says if you want to have friends, you should show yourself to be friendly. And there's a process of reaching out if you want to have friends, not just being reached to, but reaching to others. But this seems to be more than that. And I don't hear people talk about this much, but there's something significant here. Sometimes God just gives you a gift in life. Jonathan is a major gift to David from the Lord. The encourager that would come alongside, the one that would lift him up when he was down, the one that would believe in him, stand up for him when others were against him. And something happened of an immediate bond between these two. You know, if you have one friend like this in life, you're pretty fortunate. If you have two or three, you're really fortunate. But rarely will you have more than three friends like we're talking about here. 
What I find interesting about this friendship and this, this thing that God did was these, these guys weren't together that much. You'd think friends, you know, best friends we call every day, we're with each other. We're, they were together at times and probably had large concentrations of time together early on when David was there at the palace. But there came a season where they wouldn't see each other for long periods of time because David was on the run. But every time, you ever have a friend like this? You might be away from him from for a season, but when you're with them, it's on. It's just like yesterday has been, it's been picked up from where you left off and it's, and it's just fantastic. Well, that was what God had given these two men. And it's kind of remarkable that Jonathan overcame jealousy here. And let me tell you why. Jonathan was Saul's oldest son. Saul's the king. So as the eldest son of the king, he was the one who was in line to take the throne. Jonathan himself had won great victories. I love the story. I want to preach on it sometime in 1 Samuel 14, 6, but I just want to bring your attention to it today. Jonathan, you see one of the battles where, where the Philistines were destroyed because Jonathan was faithful. It says that he said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. And I love this line. I mean, this will preach, but I don't have time to preach it today. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. You know the story where Jonathan, his armor bearer, they snuck out of the camp. They went right into the Philistines' camp, climbed up a cliff, and slew over 20 Philistines. The Philistines got in disarray and chaos. They were scared. They thought they'd been attacked, and, and they, they just went wacko. The, the Israelites came when they heard the noise and just whipped up on people that were running like crazy. And a great battle was won because of Jonathan. Jonathan was a great warrior in his own right. He could have said, hey, what about when I won? Okay, you beat a giant, but hey, I helped defeat the army once before, but jealousy never showed up with this guy. Did you know that Jonathan was probably Saul's best commander and a seasoned soldier? If you look in 1 Samuel 13 2, you'll see that he was commanding up, up to about one-third of all the soldiers of Israel at the time. Interesting that he did not get jealous. His victories were overshadowed by David slaying the giant. And yet, he found himself making a covenant as a friend with David. He loves him right away. He makes a pact. And there's absolutely no jealousy. Verse 1 <clears throat> says, an immediate bond of love between them, and, and it says that they became friends. And then verse 3, he loved him as he loved himself. And there are some people who just tried to, to rip this passage up and skew it and make it mean what it doesn't mean. And, and there are people who try to justify homosexuality on the basis of that passage. Well, you, you know, there, there are words in the Hebrew that spell things out specifically. And this word that's speaking of love in the Hebrew is not ever used to express homosexual desire. As a matter of fact, it it's, here involves a personal commitment of self in the purest and noblest intentions of trust and obedience to God. So that's a good thing to remember if anybody ever brings this up as justification for homosexuality. There's another word uh, in Genesis 19.5, that's a Hebrew word. It's called yada. And that is used of in the sense of having sex. And that's where there was Lot and Sodom and that whole uh, scenario. But that word is not used and it's never used in David and Jonathan's relationship. So just, just a little thought there to uh, keep in mind. You know, I have a, a really good friend. His name is Gene Christian. And um, 
God has made us friends from the early days on. And I, I mean, I love this guy. And uh, he's been such a blessing to me in my life. And when we're together, we just, I mean, it's just the best of times. But he's been there for me in hard times. And I try to be there for him in the hard times. But I remember one time we're having coffee in Sherwood. And some of you may have heard this story before. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I witnessed to him before he was a, a, a believer. And I remember him running across the field at George Fox, that baseball field, and telling me he came to the Lord. And so incredible. We have all this history. But we're standing there with the barista near the, you know, uh, receiving table there. And just as the barista is putting the coffee up on the table, Gene says to me, do you remember that? That's the first time you ever told me you loved me. Well, I look at the barista and he just kind of looks away as he's putting the coffee up there, you know. <laughs> and I said, no, Gene, I don't remember that. I, I say that to all my brothers in Christ. You know, I'm just trying to make this person understand. But the truth is, I love Gene. And just like this, it's noble. And, it, and it's just about brothers in Christ. And that's what was going on with these guys. They, they loved each other tremendously. And friends make life better. Now, what's interesting is Gene Christian is here today, and I did not know he was going to be here. Gino, you're used to speaking publicly. I don't want to scare everybody. I want you to come up here, buddy. Come up here and stand by me for just a moment. Uh, I, I'm up here, uh, you know, when we're doing worship and thinking, good grief, he's here. He doesn't even know I'm going to talk about him. Little did he know I'm going to bring him up here. I'll tell you that. We're going to scare everybody from coming to this church because they're going to think uh, they're going to get up at any moment. But Gene, I, I want I, you... I still love you. Do you? We've, we've been in a 23-year battle on who's taller. Stand up straight, buddy. <laughs> Actually, I, I tell him that I could stand flat-footed and eat popcorn off his head. That's not quite true. But um, I know he's about a quarter inch taller. It's just your pride. I've just been trying to pull you away from that for all these years, it's bro. It's the shoes, Pastor. Is, is it? Okay. Well, Gene, talk about our friendship just for a minute here and, and, you know, the years. Well, I came to the Lord when I was 18 years old uh, in the spring of my freshman year at college. And it was after two semesters of Pastor Stan working on me. And the whole time that I wasn't a believer, he still believed in me. And he showed me love and he stood with me. And so I couldn't wait to tell him when I became a Christian this, this uh, spring semester of my freshman year. And I give this guy all the credit in the world uh, for bringing me to the Lord. He's, in some ways, my spiritual father. And so I'll always love Pastor Stan. He'll always be that person. When we get together again, it's just like yesterday. Because there are two or three people in your life that are like that, and we just happen to have that kind of relationship. Thank you, buddy. Now, now I don't see myself as his mentor because I'm telling you, this is a, stay here for a minute, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very spiritually mature guy who loves Jesus and he helps me all the time. And it's really more mutual than, I, I appreciate that respect. You never said that to me personally, well, but thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Put you on the spot, didn't I? But uh, I, I love him. Let's thank the Lord for, for Gene. Can we do that and what he's done in his life? <clears throat> Well, friends make life better. I mean, great, great friends make life better. And uh, the Lord had given something special to David and Jonathan. Now, I, I want you to just ask yourself um, this question. For, maybe ask God. Ask God to give you a Jonathan-like friend or a best friend, someone that you, 
You know, Gene and I talk about the Lord on a regular basis, not just life. That friend who, who helps you grow in God, who's there for you. And if you, if you need that friend, ask God to give you one. That's, that's a good prayer. But here's another thing, and I, I, I think this is just as important, if not more. Ask God to show you who to be that great friend to. I get this feeling that David or Jonathan was going to be that what he was to David even if David wasn't that back. You never hear him saying, you know, if, if you'll commit, I'll commit. Now they made a pact together, but you hear Jonathan saying, I'm for you, I'm with you. And you just see him blessing over and over again. And honestly, although David became king, he wasn't king for all the years that he knew Jonathan in his life. And Jonathan could have held authority over him, but he wouldn't do it. He kept blessing this guy and say, someday you're going to be king. Who's God calling you to? I believe God will give us a call to some people sometimes, and it's not about them giving to us. It's about us on a regular basis giving to them. There are three men that I feel the Lord's called me to to speak encouragement to on a regular basis. I was just thinking about this this week, going through it. And I just try to call them. They're warriors, man. They're on the front lines all the time doing things for God. And people don't know how, how much the enemy can attack when you're in that position because doesn't it make sense <clears throat> that the enemy would want to take out, um, you know, the generals, the sergeant or the captains, the sergeants, uh, uh, in war, if you take those guys out, you, you can cause great um, confusion in the army, in the ranks. And so I just feel that there's a few people that God's called me to that I'm supposed to encourage. Are there people like that in your life? Have you asked God if he wants you to be a Jonathan to someone? It might be a good prayer for you to think about because I believe the Lord will use you greatly. <clears throat> Second thought here, great friends help you when you're in trouble. Jonathan had no jealousy, but his dad struggled with major jealousy because of David. David becomes <clears throat> a leader of soldiers as a very young man, and he's incredibly talented as a military officer. Uh, he has great wisdom and skill that goes beyond his experience. And the ladies start singing. We see in the scriptures, Saul has slain his thousands. That's the king, Jonathan's dad. He's slain his thousand, but David is tens of thousands. And jealousy creeps into Saul's heart. And that means trouble for David. First Samuel 19, let's pick it up there, verse 1. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his close friendship with David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I find out. Well, what he found out was his dad was going to kill him and that David needed to be on the run. Isn't God good? He knows when we need close, caring friends to come alongside us. Sometimes we say, God, where are you? Don't you understand that he's that friend? He sent that friend to you. That one who's sitting beside you and calling you and emailing and praying for you on a regular basis, that's God in the flesh sent to bless you, one of his servants being used of him. He's there for us, and quite often it's through friends that he meets us. Well, most people we call friends are not willing to be our friend when it means a personal risk for them. They're what? 
one might call fair-weather friends. And that's not what Jonathan was. He was willing to risk it. He was willing to put himself on the line to be there for his friend David. I remember years ago, I was a young man um, preaching in a, in a small community, a city here in Oregon. And I had a friend that asked me to, after the services if I would go play basketball with some people in the city there. And I said, sure. Now, I played college basketball, and uh, I now say that I'm a former athlete. Uh, no longer uh, do, do I hit the floor for hardly any reason except falling. Uh, <clears throat> and, and so, you know, since it's just hard to recover from injuries, I try to find other ways to stay in shape. But in those days, I'm about 28, 30 years old. So when I went to play with these guys. I could still play. And I was doing pretty well. And you know what? When you've played in college and the word gets out, there are people who want to show you that, you know, I, I could have played in college and I'm probably better than you are. And battles happen. So it got uh, intense. We're going up and down the floor and then suddenly some football playing looking guy hit me so hard. I didn't even see him. He hit me on the side of the shoulder, ran into me with essentially a football block and knocked me for a loop so much so that I staggered for six or seven steps trying to catch myself. Would have fallen over but I hit the wall. And when I stood up, here's this big fella kind of looking at me like this Give me that little nod, you know. Well, now I'm a believer, so I know I'm not going to fight the guy. But I look over at my friend who asked me to play, and when I looked at him, he did this. He turned away, and he turned his back to me. And I knew in that moment what it meant. Okay, you're my friend, but I live here. And these people are my friends, and I'm not going to risk being your friend. I'm not going to take that personal risk when it might cost me with this community that I'm involved with. Well, to this day, I love the guy, but I'm, I'm telling you, um, our relationship hasn't quite been the same because I just found out he's a fair-weather friend. Fair-weather friends, um, you know, it seems appropriate that you would protect yourself so you could uh, have standing in the community, but it's not the kind of friend you want to have, really, is it? The one that won't be there. Great friends help you when you're in trouble. They don't forsake you. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: a friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. Great friends believe in you, and they support you even when others won't. Now, I'm speaking to you about your friends. I don't know who they are. The Holy Spirit's doing work right now that I don't know a thing about. I'm just bringing this principle of the Scriptures. God wants us to be there for our friends when others don't believe in Him. I have a minister friend who will remain unnamed here. And he was experiencing what I believe was the greatest trial of his life. People had started to speak negative things about him and were saying things that were exaggerated and not true. And as a result, he came to a time in his life where he was very down and feeling badly about himself. And I made sure I got with him. I felt the Lord was saying pull off your busy schedule and encourage my servant. And I let him know through that time that I believed in him and I believe God believed in him and God was going to use him greatly still yet. Now write this down. This is pregnant with profundity. A real friend is a person who walks in when everyone else walks out. A real friend is a person who walks in when everyone else 
walks out. Don't you wish people would be there for you this way? What if we just flipped it and said, God help me to be there for these people you call me to as their friend. Let's be like Jonathan and be there for our friends. Third thought today, great friends encourage us. 1 Samuel 23, 15, and we're just kind of walking through the life. This happens over a number of years, but I'm picking passages out to show you things about the relationship between these two men. But David is still running from Saul, who's trying to kill him over and over. It's the theme early on in his, in his military career. And it says this, one day near Horish. And let me tell you, Horish is a desert. If you went there, you'd look at it and say, no one could survive in this land. David's hiding in caves. He's just trying to stay alive. He has a faithful few who are with him. And he received the news that says that, that Saul, rather, was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan, here's the friend again, went to find him, David, and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You're going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you as my father is well aware. So the two of them renewed their covenant of friendship before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horish. Now the interesting thing about this is that's the last time they ever saw each other, that passage right there. Because Jonathan would soon after die on the battlefield with his dad. I find it quite appealing that Jonathan started his friendship with David as an encourager and he ended his friendship with David by encouraging. He was just encouraging this guy all along the way. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 tells about the importance of encouraging one another. So encourage each other and build each other up. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about, I'm going to encourage this person so that they can feel good about what God's doing in their life? I'm telling you, I, I, I guess I'm wired this way. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if there's a gift of encouragement. I, I guess it's a blessing of sorts. But, but I, I don't know that I, I'm just such a, a, a tremendous encourager that it just spilled out of my life. I learned encouragement because I knew what it felt like when people encouraged me. I remember Danny Duran speaking into my life, a pastor who's a few years older, an evangelist, and saying some really kind things about me. And because of that position, remember that if you're in a position of authority, just like a parent, your words mean so much when you're in a position of authority. If you say a kind word as a boss... You will bless a person. They'll go home and they'll tell their wife, they'll tell their kids, they'll tell their friends, and something will happen in their hearts. There's something about authority encouraging that's powerful. You know, we know what it can do negatively, but now we're speaking about the positive side. But I want you to know what your words of encouragement mean to people and to your, and to your friends. It'll carry them, man. They'll be down in the dumps and you'll say something and the Lord will use you and give you thoughts and words. I believe you'll even speak prophetically at times when you start to tell them the good things you see in them and what they've accomplished and look how far you've come and I believe the Lord has this and I've seen this in your life. It's unbelievable. You build them up. Encourage and build each other up just as you're already doing. The effects of negative words can be a real bummer. And I, I didn't have this in my notes. Perhaps 
I, since I shared it in the first service, I'm going to share it again. Perhaps the Lord wanted it here, but be careful with negative words. It's not the real emphasis today, it's encouragement, but discouragement comes from negative words. I remember when we were right in the throes of building this facility out, we had fallen back in our budget by about a million dollars. Every week in the summer before this building was built, we had a $20,000 to a $100,000 overrun every week. Uh, we have, at the, at the time, we had about 120 employees. We had uh, a budget over, of over $6 million. And the weight of all that, the financial strain, the criticism that comes, with, you know, when you build, people always criticize. You know, they, they don't talk about the hundreds of thousands a year we give to missions. They just want to talk about what you're building that for. Well, people won't come to schools if you're in a warehouse. They won't come. They, 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 it's, it's an institution that needs facility. Facilities facilitate ministry. True for churches as well. Facilities are just about facilitating ministry. But I was feeling this tremendous strain, and I'm telling you, I was tired, I was weary. Uh, it, I, I, you know, you'd think I'd be spiritual enough where I could escape all those emotions of it and all that strain, uh, but I know all my friends who've been through big building projects too have felt it as well. And when it's the crunch coming to the end, it's just intense if you're a leader. I'm just telling you. And in a moment where I was one of the lowest points of my life, now granted, if that's my lowest point, I've had a pretty good life. I, because, you know, no loved one was dying, none of that. But I felt this tremendous strain and at times felt like quitting just, just because the strain was so intense. Never thought about it seriously, but you know how things happen when the strain's on you. And at, at a moment when I was lowest, I got a letter from someone who was... Um, upset about a furniture decision that we had made in, 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 as we moved into this building. And they said something like this. You don't care about us. Don't you know that we're the real warriors around here? I cannot tell you how that hurt me. Listen, if I wanted to go make money and do something else, I really believe I could do it. But my calling is to stand under the strain that the Lord's given me here for the sake of his kingdom. I've given my life away to him. And everything I had done for 15 years, maybe 13 at that time, 17 now, everything I had done was for the sake of the sheep in the building of the kingdom. And somebody says, you don't care? It hurt. Be careful how you talk to leaders. Leaders... You, you don't know what they're going through. You don't know the strain that they've had to go through to help others. Be careful with your bosses at work. Be careful with your teachers in these classes around here. And if as, as much as possible, I just want you to know, leaders need to be encouraged too. They're, they're, they're just people with huge strain trying to do their best to serve the Lord and bless people. And my commitment is, look, I can confront if necessary but boy, I always want it to be in love. I always want it to be about blessing and helping and moving forward. Let's be people of encouragement. Encourage one another. Build each other up just as you're already doing. I like this story as we think about encouraging one another in tough times. It's a story of a man named Sam Rayburn who is the Speaker of the House for the United States House of Representatives. He was the speaker longer than any other person in history. Still today, this is true. He served mainly the 40s through the 60s, 1940s through 1960, uh, when he was the leader of the House. 
And he had uh, a friend whose teenage daughter died suddenly. Early the next morning, the man heard a knock on his door, and it was Sam Rayburn. And the speaker said, I just came by to see what I could do to help. And in his deep grief, the father said, I, I don't think there's anything you can do, Mr. Speaker. We're making the arrangements. Well, Rayburn said, have you, have you had your coffee this morning? The man replied that he'd not taken time, nor had his family for breakfast. So Sam Rayburn said, well, well, could I at least come in and make coffee for you? And while he was working in the kitchen, the man came in and said, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were supposed to be having breakfast at the White House this morning. Well, I was, Rayburn said, but I called the president and told him I had a friend who was in trouble and I couldn't come. A friend who's there in a time of need is a friend indeed. Let's just, let's just be that kind of people. Let's be there for people when they hurt. Today it's them, tomorrow it's you. The next day, it's the person sitting beside you. But we all need friends to come alongside us in those times of trials and heartache. So let's be there for them in the tough times, but let's, let's bring words of encouragement so that they can be built up. Fourth, <clears throat> great friends are loyal. And I know I've kind of been on that, but I want to emphasize it even more. Because loyalty has to do with when people come against you that someone would stand up. That's kind of what I'm talking about now when I say loyal. Loyal in times um, where, where, where your friend is going through a, a battle and people don't believe in him. First Samuel 19, pick up a story again. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant, David. Jonathan said, He's never done anything to harm you. Again, dad's trying to kill him, the king. And again, Jonathan's standing up for him. He's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it at all. So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. So here's his great friend standing up in defense of David. A great friend will defend you. Close friends don't talk behind your back. Speak of you in a passive-aggressive way. Well, he meant well, but you know, he just doesn't know. That's passive-aggressive. They don't ignore or move away from you when you're under fire. They defend you. We defend friends. Great friends, friends are there to stand up for you, to be there when you're in trouble. They look out for your best interest. Now, Jonathan was loyal, but he wasn't blindly loyal. It wasn't blind loyalty. Here's how I know. I, if you read the story, and I've been all over it this week, and I'm so excited about the messages coming in the next weeks. It's such a great story. But you can't miss that Jonathan really loved his dad, Saul. Jonathan was loyal to Saul, too. He died in battle with him, on the battlefield. But the reason I know it's not blind loyalty to David 
is because when his dad, even though he loved him, wanted to bless him, when his dad was thinking in an unrighteous way, he, he confronted him. And, and really, I think it's safe to say, he rebukes him in this passage. So, you know, there, that is appropriate at times in those relationships, even with best friends. And we see him doing that with his dad. So, so this loyalty, when he's defending David, is, hey, he's not what you're saying. That you're not thinking right on that. And here again, we're talking about times where someone might be speaking against your friend. And it's not quite right. It's so easy to be silent because after all, what do you have to gain in that moment, right? Right? You want to just keep it cool with this person in front of you. And that's what fair weather friends do. But great friends, when they know someone's not thinking right and saying something's not true, they'll say, hey, not true. I don't think you're thinking right on that one. And here's why. He said to his dad, he's never done anything but bless, honor, and help you. Don't do this. He risked his life fighting for this country. When he went up against Goliath, don't murder this innocent man. Great friends are loyal. Are we loyal friends? Here's another aspect, and I, I find this to be so tender, and, and I almost wish I could preach a sermon on this. It's just, it's just rich, and I, I will someday. But you remember Mephibosheth? That was Jonathan's son. And in a time of battle, he was picked up in the palace, and as they were rushing out, uh, whoever had him dropped him, and he became lame crippled in both feet because he was dropped. In those days, they didn't have the medical means to fix that when something went wrong or was severed. And so, Mephibosheth now lives with Saul and, and Jonathan as a son, but David eventually comes into power. Now, if you're Jonathan, probably all you've heard from Saul is bad things about David. I mean, not Jonathan. If you're Mephibosheth, his grandson, you probably heard Grandpa talk pretty bad about David. You know that Grandpa was trying to kill David. Now David's in power. Jonathan's in hiding when we get to this passage in the Scripture. But here we see this incredible quality, this tender and powerful loyalty that goes beyond blessing a friend to even blessing his family, his immediate family. Now that's loyalty. 2 Samuel 9, 3, the king asked, now he's in power, David's the king, is there no one left in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? I find this incredible because all Saul ever did was try to kill David. David wouldn't raise a hand against him. We'll talk more about this later. David wouldn't speak evil against him. David loved Saul even though Saul didn't love him. David knew that Saul was God's chosen servant and wouldn't speak against or touch him because of his respect for spiritual authority. And now he's saying, can I show kindness to anyone in Saul's house? And Ziba answered the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. Well, Jonathan's dead, he's died on the battlefield. He's the best friend David's ever had. Think how he feels when he hears this name. There's still the son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. When Mephibosheth son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. And at this point, Jonathan 
or I'm sorry, Mephibosheth says, um, I'm just like a dead dog. But he says, don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And this is incredible. He pulls him in to sit at his table for the rest of his days. You talk about loyalty. Do you care when you have a friend whose kid is in trouble? Do you think of that com a commitment to those people in such a way that you'll be there even for their immediate family when they're down? <clears throat> I have two friends, <clears throat> pretty close friends, but I'm not going to mention their names today. They're both ministers, and they're good friends with each other. One of them had a daughter that in high school started dating an unbeliever that was just trouble. You know, the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. And I just want to say to the teenagers and everybody else here, don't date unbelievers. Don't do it. And here's why. Because you'll fall in love with an unbeliever. They have the common grace of God upon their lives. They can be charming. They, they have talents. But they don't love the Lord. And so if you're, just think of it. Here you are. You get together in a union you're growing to Jesus and they're going their own way. The only thing that can happen is you'll grow farther apart, not closer together. They don't have the same commitment. Either you'll be alienated with them or they'll pull you away from Jesus Christ. But if, God says don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Well, she was. She was very serious about this young man. She graduated from high school. Things got worse. She was going the wrong way, giving up what she'd always believed in Jesus Christ, doing things uh, that she wasn't concerned about anymore and had major trouble with her parents. And one of the friends, the other friend, lived in Missouri, had helped that family, had been friends with that family since the time those, their, their girl was little, called her and said, hey, I know you're having some struggles. Won't you come live with us for a little bit? Why don't you come down here and I'll give you a job. Now, she's, she's leaving the West Coast, going to Missouri, and she, she loved. When she got down there, they just reached out to her and loved her. She lived with them, got her feet under her, started following Christ, and went back home and things were different. To me, it's just remarkable that one of my friends went out of their way to help the other friend's daughter. That's serious commitment and friendship, isn't it? Now, granted, the Lord was probably involved and gave a call, but I'm just, I'm just saying the Lord wants to move in our hearts for lots of stuff that we won't open up to at times. That young lady went back, and not only did she serve Jesus, but she found a young man who loved Jesus. She married him, and he's a pastor at a church now. She's a pastor's wife. Man, that friend in Missouri made a difference in his friend's daughter's life. He was there for her. Here's that verse now in the Amplified, Proverbs 17, 17 again. A friend loves at all times and is born as is a brother for adversity. That's loyalty. And the last thing I, I just don't want to, um, I don't want it to escape us today. You may say, well, I don't have a good friend like this. I, I, you just got to know that the greatest friend ever is Jesus. You know, I, um, <clears throat> I'm not a person who's lived for Jesus all my life. Um, I know what it's like 
to choose to be away from God and walk in a worldly way. I did that at one time. I know what it's like to have the good old boys that are my buddies and party. So I know what that life was and I know what this life is. And I'm telling you, those people that call themselves friends and they live in this scene over here where God isn't part of it, I just found them to be pretty fickle in the long run. But when I came to Jesus, listen, when I came to Jesus, I dropped every friend I had because they're all the wrong kind of friends and I wasn't going to make it. If I did, and I went back to them eventually, but to reach out. But I knew I had to drop them. But when Jesus came into my heart, now listen to me, man. He was my friend. I know he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords, but it, it, goes, it goes well beyond that. He, he walks with me. I know this must sound weird if you're an unbeliever, but I'm telling you, I've been there and, 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 I've, and I've come to him and I'm telling you, he walks with me and he talks to me and he helps me every day, every single day of my life. When I don't know what to do, he'll lead me. When I've been afraid and alone, he'll meet me. When I'm alone, he'll send people to me to bless me and help me. And every good thing, the best things that have ever happened in friendship have come because of my relationship with Jesus Christ being my best friend and sending his people to me to be my friends as well. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then, look at this next verse, John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see how he's the friend? You see how John 15, 13, you lay down your life. That's the best friend. That's the greatest love. And then John 10, 11, the good shepherd laid down his life for you and me. Jesus died for you. He died for me. There's no greater love than that. He had us in mind. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, the Bible says, and each of us has turned our own way. And the Bible says in Isaiah that God the Father caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. This is what that means. Did you know God's so altogether holy, He cannot cohabitate with sin? He can't do it. He's so righteous and holy, He, 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 he needs righteousness around Him. <clears throat> And since we had sinned and become unrighteous, we were separated from God. Sin must be punished. When you're altogether righteous and holy, you punish sin because sin brings pain and heartache and depravity and wickedness and pain into people's life. God won't cohabitate with that. And the supreme act of love, he sent his son down and said, I'm going to punish sin, but here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to let all the sins of the world fall on my son. And that's what the cross was about. The wrath of God, the Bible says, was poured out on Jesus that it might not be poured out on us. And all we have to do is admit we're sinners and take the grace that's offered to us because of the forgiveness of the cross. There's no other way to come to Jesus because there's no other way that the wrath was appeased. There's no other plan that God had. It's just once and for all, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God was slain for us. The ransom for our sins.
1 John 4.10, this is real love. It's not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I have a nephew named Tyler who's 23 or 24 years old. He lives in Missouri. And uh, he's been a good old boy the last couple years. Had his drinking buddies and did some partying as well. And uh, Grandpa Ray and Grandma Sylvia moved to Missouri. Remember that? They were on staff here for 15 years. They've been there for a little over a year. And they had Tyler over last week. And Tyler's kind of figuring out, because it doesn't take long to, to realize that that life, this life over here, doesn't have any fulfillment. It's empty. Those friends aren't really friends when the chips are down sometimes. You realize, I'm not going anywhere with this. And like I knew when I was a young man, Tyler, Tyler knew of Jesus and he knew of the Father who loved him. And he said to Grandma and Grandpa, sitting in their living room last week, he said, I've been thinking about going back to church. So they talked a little bit. He left and went home. And my dad said to my mom, I think we missed an opportunity. I think Tyler's ready to receive Christ. So he called Tyler and said, hey, can Grandma and I come over? So he went over to their place. He thought, I might have missed it at this moment, but I don't think the opportunity has passed me yet. And they went in and they talked to Tyler and said, um, Tyler, why don't you just give your heart to Christ? And Tyler said to Grandpa, Grandpa, I'm, I'm just afraid I'm gonna make mistakes. I'm afraid I'll fall. And Grandpa said to him, Tyler, let me assure you that you will. You're gonna, you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna fall. And then Grandma Sylvia spoke up and she said, she mentioned his niece. He sees her on a regular basis. She's two years old, just an adorable little girl. And she said, hey, doesn't she stumble and fall? And doesn't she do wrong things even now? And he said, oh yeah, because she's got brother and sister. You can see the, the, the little motive opposition that will kick in in that little girl at times. He said, she does things wrong, doesn't she? Yeah, well, do you love her? And Tyler said, oh yeah, I love her. She said, well, that's the way it is with you, Tyler. You're gonna fall, you're gonna make mistakes, but God loves you, he'll forgive you, he'll help you, he'll take your hand, he'll love you. So last week, Tyler, in his own place, bowed his head and received Christ into his heart. Ray and Sylvia are having this little mini revival in their family. They led my sister to the Lord. They, they led, uh, I believe, two grandsons, a niece. I don't know how many more, but people are coming to Christ because they're reaching out, our family, and others coming to Christ around them. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said this, come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I'll give you rest. I'm telling you, you need Jesus to forgive you of your sins, but Jesus wants to be your friend and bless your life.